0: Um, And as you're finding that, I wanted to take a moment and just kind of like touch on where we've been. Last week, wasn't it a doozy, right? wasn't last week's message fun. How many of you have already forgotten what last last week's message was? A couple of you, okay. Uh, If you missed the message or if you forgot last week's message, uh, I encourage you to go back on Facebook and watch it or listen to it on our podcast or... Watching on our YouTube channel as well because I really don't want to preach, re preach that message for a while. I want to put that one in the files and leave that one locked away a little bit. Um, and a lot of you, I think, would agree with me. After the service, and actually this week in talking, uh, this one kind of hit home, I think, because a lot of people said, man, I, uh, I really didn't want to hear that one. And I really didn't want to preach it either, right? Because we were talking about uh, the Christian's role in government or the response, uh, response to the civil authorities. Matter of fact, one guy after the service said, you know, when you started that, I, I leaned over to somebody next to me and said, I'm just going to go sit in my car and wait for my family after this one's Mm -hmm. over with. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's tough. But, um, when you talk about government, especially in today's political climate and everything, it's, it, everybody's got a lot of opinions on, on it and what, uh, what a Christian should, should do. But it, basically, Paul, in verses 1 through 7, just kind of laid out, here's what you do. And uh, a lot of us may not like it or agree with it, but when the Word says it, we obey it. Amen? And uh, so, <clears throat> so, I'm not going to re-preach the message. But basically the big idea of verses one through seven is carrying on what chapter 12 did, saying that the gospel shouldn't just impact our spiritual destination. A lot of us think about the gospel, we think about the plan of salvation that tells a person they can know for sure that heaven is their home. And the gospel is that, but it encompasses more than just that. It doesn't just encompass our spiritual relationships or what takes place inside the walls of the church. The gospel encompasses every aspect of our life and every part of it. That means when I'm at home and when I'm sitting with my family, the gospel should, have a, the gospel should make an impact on how I relate to my family. When I'm at work, the gospel should make an impact on how I relate to my boss or to my coworkers uh, or someone like that. When I'm at school, all right, school is coming up, right? Everybody excited about that. I know the Holmes family is definitely excited about that. Got a senior and a, a middle schooler, just starting middle schooler this year. So uh, this, is gonna be, this is gonna be a fun year, right? But even when you're in school, the gospel should impact how you relate to your teachers, how you relate to your classmates, how you relate to the principal. If you're a teacher, it should, relate, it should impact the way you relate to your, your kids, The gospel should also impact us to where we are, like it said last week, upstanding citizens who respect, who obey, who cooperate and support our government officials because that government is ordained and given authority by God who created everything. And even in our democratic governmental system, which is way different from what Paul wrote about, in our democratic governmental system where we have a voice to be able to vote, we use that voice But then we also use our voice to support the government that we have until they tell us to go aside from what God has said. So like I said, I'm not going to repreach that message, but as we turn to verse number eight this morning for our text, we have to understand that Paul is continuing that thought of the gospel should make us upstanding citizens, and now he gets down into the root of what takes to do that and what we're going to need, because sometimes you think, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can do some of the things that the Bible is saying that you do, like pray for my enemies and all that type of stuff. That just seems a little radical and a little extreme, right? Especially in the day of Facebook and Twitter and, and all that stuff where everybody just trolls on each other. And if you don't agree with me on everything, then that means, not only does it mean that we can't be friends, but you are evil and my sworn enemy, which is pretty much the climate of today. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 13, verse number 8. And we'll read all the way through the rest of the chapter. It says this, do not owe anyone anything, all right, except. Now remember what Paul just said in verses 6 and 7 is to be people of our word, to pay our taxes, to pay our our tolls, or to pay our debts and all those things. He says, don't owe anyone anything except to love one another. This is the great debt of the gospel. It is to love one another for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love yourself? That's a lot of love. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Besides this, you know the time. It is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Think about that. This morning when your alarm clock went off, You are one day closer to glory in heaven. And he says the night is nearly over friends. And the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness. And put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime. And not in carousing and drunkenness. Not in sexual impurity and promiscuity. Not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Holy Spirit, this morning, I pray that you would illuminate us to your truth. God, thank you for your word. Where would we be without it? Thank you that you spoke through men of old. And Holy Spirit, you inspired them to write these words to us. So that we know that when we read this, this is not just Paul's idea of you, Lord God. This is what you told Paul about you to us. So thank you that we can believe it, thank you that we can trust it, but also we thank you that you help us to obey it, because without your help, without that love that you give us in your heart, we would fall short every time. So I pray this morning that you would speak through your word. I pray that if there's somebody that doesn't know you, that has never experienced that love, that, that, that has not trusted you as their savior, that today would be that day that they do that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. But just to take a quick poll this morning, how many of you just love debt? Debt. You like debt, right? You just just love debt, right? You you bring on the debt, give me more of it, right? I remember that that old commercial. You remember that old commercial, the guy that's like mowing his yard on his riding lawnmower, and he's like, do you love my house? It's beautiful, isn't it? He's like, do you like my lawn? I have the best lawn care provider. I got the greatest mower. You like my car, it's beautiful. He says, how do I have all this? And he says, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs, (laughs) right? Living the American dream, right? You would think that that guy loves debt, and you would think the way we often live sometimes that we love debt too. Like how many of you do this? You, you, you wait with bated breath for the mail carrier every day thinking, Man, it would just make my day if the cable company decided to send my, send my bill a little bit early because I just can't wait to put that bad boy in the mail and send it off, right? Uh, how many of you say, I just can't wait for the 16th so I can pay my mortgage? That just sounds weird, doesn't it? And I know you sit there and you say, ooh, it looks like they just raised the interest rate on my credit card again without letting me know. I'm so glad they did that. We don't love debt, right? No one likes debt. We hate it, but we really like stuff. That's the problem. We like stuff more than we hate debt, so we end up going in debt to get the stuff, don't we? See, Scripture actually says that we should avoid debt as much as we possibly can, because when we're in debt, the Bible says that we actually become slaves to the lender and to the creditor. And what he's really telling us to remember is that even though that stuff is awesome and it is beautiful, is it worth becoming a slave and becoming a servant to all of that stuff? You know, that car, and I know I'm dealing with some, some car dealers here in our, in, our, uh, in, our, uh, in our congregation, so I don't want to be too hard, but that car that looks so beautiful and glistening on the lot, the minute you drive it off and it loses like 5000 in depreciation, all of a sudden it's not as shiny when you get it home, is it? And that You get that first bill coming in and then the insurance and then the gas, It's not a shining one. You find out, oh my gosh, I got this car so it would make me look good, but now I'm serving it. Or that, that house, or that whatever it may be, right? See, because when we're in debt, we become slaves. And in Colossians, we're told that the gospel made it possible for Jesus to erase the certificate of debt. When Jesus died on the cross, just like we sang about a minute ago, when Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood, he erased that certificate of debt to sin that he has taken it away by nailing our sin to the cross. That this is what salvation is and this is what the gospel preaches to us is that our debt, our sin debt is now paid under the blood of Jesus Christ. So that when we become saved, we are now debt free when it comes to sin and we can live in freedom to him. See, the freedom of salvation is defined as being debt-free when it comes to our sins before God. Just covered that, Jesus covered that debt so that we could be pardoned. And in our text, that key verse that we see, this is one that we dive into everything off of in verse number 8. It says, do not owe anyone anything, right? It says, do not owe anyone anything except, right? And he had just come out of verses 6 and 7, right? When he says, be an upstanding citizen, pay your taxes, pay your tolls. means pay your bills and all the other things. Give respect, give honor. And he says, basically, he's saying, don't live in debt. Pay that stuff. Pay that stuff off and do it with a cheerful attitude. And then he says, don't owe anyone anything except, except. And then he says, you owe a debt of love to everyone. See, the gospel frees us from the debt of sin right? It frees us from death and the debt of sin because as Colossians says, he has canceled that certificate of debt. But now once we come to know Christ, we go into a new debt and that debt is to love and to love big and to love without end. And here's the thing about the debt of love, that debt of love never gets paid off. All right, you say, well, hold on for a second. I thought you just said if I'm in debt, that makes me a slave. So now I'm a slave to other people. Well, the Bible says that those who are last shall be first and that we should have a servant's heart, the heart of a servant. That was modeled by Jesus Christ, right? The Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who humbled himself and he put on our flesh and he became a servant to us. And he was a servant so much that he was willing to die for us to have eternal life. And then guess what? He says we're supposed to have the mind of Christ, and as it said in the last part of our text, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that means to emulate him. So yes, to know Christ is to be in debt to him, and to be in debt to our fellow man, to humanity, to love them like he loved, loves them as well. See, there's one debt that we're always going to owe, no matter, and that's the debt of love, and it is by love that we meet all other obligations of heaven. He says this, he says, Owe no one anything except to love one another for the one who loves another has what? Has fulfilled the law. It is by our payment of love that we follow all the other expectations of heaven. And so that's what we're gonna look at this morning. The title of the message is The Great Debt of the Gospel. How the gospel compels us to love and to love in a big way. And the first thing that we have to understand is that the debt of love, the gospel sets us free from the debt of sin and death and this debt of love has no payoff date and that is good for us because it keeps us minded on heavenly matters rather than just ourselves. So first of all, we have to understand the debt of love is our greatest Christian duty. This debt of love and paying this debt of love on a daily basis and never ending debt is our greatest Christian duty. When you were to ask, when you ask somebody, can you typify what a Christian is? What would you say? If somebody were to ask you, what is a Christian? What would you tell them? What would be your definition of that? Have you ever thought about that? When you say, when you say, I'm a Christian, what are you trying to communicate to the person that you're telling that to? See, in a lot of cases, especially in our, in our culture today, to say, I'm a Christian, now it seems like it's kind of a new thing. That sometimes tells people about your politics more than it does about your faith, doesn't it? Or at less that's what people begin to think. Or if you say, I'm a Christian, it may, may make them think, oh, you go to church or you, uh, you, know, you have weird ideas about this thing or that thing or something like that or you know something like that. But here's what people should understand when we say we're a Christian is that we love big. Jesus said this, by this shall all people know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Jesus' expectation of us was that we just love. And God says this, if you love people the way I love them, and if you love me the way I love you, then you don't have to worry about all those other commandments and all those other rules that a lot of people look at the Bible and say it's just a big rule book. Because if you're loving me right and you're loving others right, those commandments take care of themselves. See, God's goodness to us is generated from his love for us. Right? He loved us. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, right? In John three sixteen, that what? He gave his only son. Was God still righteous? Was God still just? Does God still hate sin just as much? Absolutely. But in his love, he promised us and gave us an offering of redemption. Does that mean that people are just, are not going to like be jerks? No, they're going to be jerks, right? We're going to be jerks. And here's the thing. Some of the biggest jerks I know are Christians. Because we've forgotten that our greatest Christian duty is to love one another. Now, I understand that love has a very wide definition, right? Love has a wide definition in our culture. Today, in our modern culture, love equals permission, doesn't it? Love means, if you love me, you'll just let me do whatever makes me happy, and if you love me, you'll support me in that. But as a parent, can I ask you this? Is that how you loved your kids when they were young and wanted to wander out into traffic? To love them, oh, if if that's what you feel like doing today, you just go right ahead and do that. No, that's not loving, because God's understanding of love, while the world's understanding of love is total and absolute permission, God's understanding of love is protection. Because as a loving heavenly father, He can see down the road at our actions and our desires and if they're filled with the flesh, he knows that our fleshly desires lead to sin and to death. He knows that every one of our fleshly desires is leading us out into that freeway of oncoming death and his love is protective saying, don't do that, don't go there, be careful of this. Let me give you a better way. Enter his word, enter his law, enter all of these things. You see, Christian love is the greatest Christian duty that we can have. How many of you have job descriptions at your job, right? You know what a job description is, right? It's usually on a sheet or maybe two or three sheets, depending on what job you have. And it's got all these bullet points of what you're expected to do in that position, right? And then when you sit down, and it's time to be evaluated in your performance. Usually they'll pull out that, that job description, and say, okay, let's see how you're doing on all of these descriptions. And then it's how you are evaluating your performance. And if there were a job description for a believer, I think that Romans... Chapter 13, verse number eight would be like that summary statement, right? Oh, no one anything except to love one another because if you love one another properly, you will fulfill all of the law. Makes sense, right? It's basically laying out all the expectations. It's laying out how you reach those expectations as well. So our job description, our great Christian duty is to love people. So let me ask you this morning just to give yourself a personal assessment. How well are you loving someone? How well are you loving others? It means that when we stand before God, one day, one of those questions that I believe he will ask in some form or fashion or in some way, he will ask, did you love others? Did you love others? And let's consider your life and whether your life was typified and led by a deep love for me and a deep love for other people. Again, right after Paul talks about what it looks like to be a good citizen by paying your taxes and paying off your tolls, he says, be respectful and honor the authority, even the authority we don't agree with, even if the authority comes from the other side of the aisle, that we should respect and show honor to them. So if you're struggling with that, have a little bit of Christ-like love for them to remember that they're not for the grace of God, there go I. And that's the love that Christ showed us. See, it's hard to love people while, and be, while being stingy or defiant or scheming or malicious towards them. It's hard to love people when we're looking for their demise. Paul is actually echoing what Jesus said multiple times in scripture as well and in his teachings. And Jesus is echoing what was said multiple times in the Old Testament. It's always been clear that God's people, that he expects his people to be a people who love big and see love for one another as their primary duty. It's our primary duty as believers to love God. It's our primary duty as believers to love others. And we can't love one right without loving the other as well. See, even John said in First John, he says, if you say you love me, but you hate everybody else, you really don't love me and you really don't know me. Because when you know me and you're my child, I'm gonna give you a deep love for other people. And it's hard to love everybody else and say, I hate God. Because that love is going to be kind of, it's gonna be corrupted. It's not gonna be a godly love. So is it love at all? So the first thing is that we must love one another as our first Christian primary duty. And I want to ask this morning, church, let's assess ourselves a little bit. How well are we loving? How well are we loving? Do we find ourselves, and you can judge that by how you talk about certain people. Last week it was, how do you talk about your officials? How do you talk about those people who irk you at work? How do you feel about those people who irk you in the neighborhood, who maybe, you know, for some reason on July the 15th, they're still celebrating July the 4th with their fireworks, and your dog has run out of all of his anxiety medicine, and you're thinking, I'm gonna pray for them. No, you're not thinking you're gonna pray for them. You're gonna pray... Let them run out of fireworks really fast, right? You know what I want to do, the first night it stops, I want to find out who it is, and I just want to go outside their, outside their bedroom window, like one in the morning start banging pots and pans, you know, and be like, woo, freedom! You know, something like that, right? See, I'm still working on this too, okay? The second thing is that the debt of love satisfies God's expectation of us. This debt of love God satisfies God's expectation of us. And here's how good God is. God knows that his standard, his law, is unattainable. So for the Old Testament, his unattainable law was met with the sacrifice and the blood of an animal. In the New Testament, it's met with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And now he says, in our life, those who've been saved, who've been covered by the blood, here's what's gonna guide your daily life if you would just focus on this one thing on loving me and loving others like I love them. Everything else is going to fall into place. That means that I don't have to look at all over 600 commands in the Bible and make sure I'm carrying it in my little pocket and keeping that checklist. Here's what he says. If you'll just be ruled by a heart of love, of Christ-like love, these things will begin to take care of themselves and they'll begin to take shape in you. So The debt of love satisfies God's expectation. Look at with us at our text again at the last part of verse number eight. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments say, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are all summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, all of those commandments that were listed verbatim there, they all came from the Ten Commandments. God's basic law that most people when they hear the word Ten Commandments, they kind of know what some of them are. They may not know all of them, but you know that it's God's law and it's what God expects of us. Half of those commandments are our love towards, or our relationship towards God. Half of the other commandments is our relationship towards others. And what Paul lists is the relationship uh, laws with other people, right? When he says adultery, murder, coveting, and any other commandment, they're summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So when you're thinking about murdering someone, you got to ask yourself, would I want someone to murder me? Well, probably not, so maybe I shouldn't murder them. That's kind of like a, a no-brainer there, right? But Paul here is echoing the very words of Christ, which are seen multiple times in the gospel, and as he teaches what it means to satisfy and please God. So over in the book of Mark, chapter 12, Jesus is approached by some scribes, and they ask him this. They say, what is the greatest commandment that we should follow? What's the, what's the tippy-top number one commandment? Because remember, the scribes and the Pharisees, they wanted to be like the elite, elite of the believers, right? And so they wanted to know what's the one that's going to make God the happiest, right? Well, what's that one thing? What's that that secret sauce to making God happy? And here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And he says, the second one is like this, Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, there is no command that is greater than these. He didn't go off on, you know, all these other little things, these secret things, these mysterious things that, that only the elite people could understand and even try to delve into. He just says, you just need to love God with everything you have and love people with everything too. And then he says this in Matthew 24. He says the same thing. He says the exact same thing as he did in Mark chapter 12. But then he adds this. He says all the law and all the prophets where all the other subsidiary laws came from in the Old Testament. He said all of that depends on these two commands. And what he's saying is you want to follow all this? You want a secret secret way of doing that? You want a Cliff Notes version? Just love God and love people. It takes care of itself. It puts you right with God and it puts you right with people. In other words, all of God's laws and all the commandments of the prophets in the Old Testament can be followed if you'll just love God. Because what is sin? Sin is an exercise in self-flesh love, isn't it? That's what sin really is. That's exactly what Adam and Eve sinned in the first place. Remember God told them, don't eat of this tree And and how could they not love God? He walked with them in the cool of the day. He was always there. He gave them everything. He's the only other person that they knew. And then a snake comes and says, hey, if you eat this, you'll know just as much as God does. And all of a sudden they love their self and their desire for flesh more than they love their God. So really all of our sin is just this exercise in damaging self flesh love that leads to death. And so if we love God more than we love ourselves, Then we begin to say no to those things and we begin to say yes to God. And then he says this in Mark chapter 12 again, Jesus even says this, he goes so far as to say, loving God and others is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices that you can offer. He's like, if you love me, it's even more important than that. So what is God looking for us? And even David said this too. David said this in the Psalms. He says, it's, "You don't want a huge display of an offering or anything like that. What you want is my heart. What you want is my repentance. What you want is a broken and a contrite heart broken over my sin because it broke your heart, and it kills me that I broke your heart because you are my object of love. Is God our object of love? See in our texts, we see Paul list out these commands: don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet." Is all of it's summed up by love your neighbor as yourself, right? Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments in John chapter 15. So we get the understanding that loving Jesus means we desire to keep the commandments. You see, I don't, I don't keep the commandments and I start loving Jesus. No, I love Jesus for what he's done for me. And then I begin to obey those commandments. And here's, here's the kicker. It's all a cycle. You can't keep the commandments unless you love Jesus and you love others. That's the way, that's the secret sauce to keeping those commandments. It's a cycle of love and obedience and fulfillment of the law because that constant debt of love constantly satisfies God's expectation of us. The cure for our spiritual ills, the cure for our struggles to be obedient to God is found in how we love him and how we love others. So what do I do if I'm struggling Here's the question. What do I do if I'm struggling to love God and love others like I know that I should? I think what, the best thing that we can do is we can review the way he loves us. We can review the way he loves us because in 1 John chapter four, he says we love him because he first loved us. That means this. It means that God's not up in heaven just sitting there like some, you know, some like, like as, as, as my kids would say, some pick me person saying, I just need all the attention. No, God loves us. And he knows that the best for us is that we love him, right? He's not up there just pining for our love. He knows it's what's best for us. We love him because he first loved us. He's already loved us. Any love we offer to God, it's already in return to what he's done for us. We can't out love him. We never can. And here's the thing. We need to understand that the love that Jesus has shown to us on the cross, dying for our sin, raising from the dead to give us eternal life, always willing to forgive us when we fail and draw us back when we wonder, that kind of love should be contagious in our hearts as believers. And God, help us as a church and as God's people if we ever get over or get used to or get entitled to the love that Jesus has shown to us right? Sometimes we get so righteous in our thoughts that we think God, or we deserve God. We don't deserve God. We are all sinners dying in our flesh and unlovable before God, but he loved us first. Because the day that that happens, that we get over or we get entitled to the love that God has given us, that's when we begin to struggle with loving him. And then we think we don't have to love other people because they're way beneath us. So uh, I'm going to preach just for a second, okay? Just for a second. Because I think this is a trap that we often fall into. See, the reason that we don't love others like we should, the reason we struggle with praying for others like we should, even for our enemies, the reason we find ourselves sometimes looking down on people and judging them and struggling to pray for them and bless them, it's rooted in the fact that we've forgotten just how dirty and unlovable we are. We do. Yet because of God's love for us, when we were our most unlovable, when we were our most dirty, when we were our most dead in trespasses and sin, because of his love for us, he saved us, he reached down into the pit of sin and despair, and he ripped us from the grip of hell and death, and he placed our feet on a solid rock. And what did we do to deserve that? Were we just so cute and cuddly that God couldn't deny loving us like some cute little grandchild? No, we weren't cute. We were rotting corpses dead in our trespasses and sins, yet the Father loved us. He looked on us with compassion and gave us grace that we could not earn. And Jesus loved the Father, and when the Father said, Son, I know they don't look like much, and I know that they rejected me, and I know that they continually turned their back on me, but Son, I love them. And Jesus said, you know what, dad? I love them too. So Jesus wrapped himself up in our flesh and he came to earth and he bled and he died. And when he laid on the cross and all of sin and death and shame and all the hatred of the world was poured out upon him on that cross and God turned his back, he said, father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. That's love. It's like the old Psalm that says, if that isn't love, then the oceans are dry and there's no clouds in the sky. And the sparrow can't fly. This is the love of God that he would give himself for us. In church, this is the love that we're supposed to show to a lost and dying world, to our families, to our coworkers, everywhere we go and in everything we do. That's what the gospel compels us to. The scriptures tell us in that moment that in that act of grace, the debt of sin was canceled for us. That debt of sin doesn't get canceled any other way than what I just described to you. The God and the God the Father and God the Son loved us so much that they would pay the debt that no one else could pay. The debt of love makes us right with God. The debt of love, number three, makes us right with everyone else. Look at verse ten. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. You know what that means? Hey, Derek, you can't go bang pots and pans around your neighborhood at the people who light fireworks until Christmas, okay? Because you're supposed to love your neighbor like you love yourself, and you don't do wrong to your neighbor. Not only those 10 commandments have to do with how we love God, but they also dictate how we love others. In the notes of uh, Dwight Moody's personal Bible, he pinned these words, about, these nine, about verses nine and 10 and how love fulfills each one of the 10 commandments. He says, love to God will admit no other gods. Love resents everything that debases its object by representing it by an image. Love to God will never dishonor his name. Number four, love to God will, never rev- will always reverence his day. Love of parents will make, the, will make kids honor them. Hate, not love, is the murderer. Lust, not love, is the adulterer. Love will give but never steal. Love will not slander or lie, and love's eye is not covetous. You see, where the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament start with do not do this, do not do that, do not do that, and it's easy for us to put that into a checklist, all of it is met by loving one another and loving God. So instead of dishonor, love makes kids honor their parents. Instead of murder, love makes people seek the health and the well-being of others, even of their enemies. Instead of lust and adultery, love makes us view others as sacred creations of God, not just objects to be owned for our own pleasure. And instead of stealing, love makes us look for ways to give. You see, this is what, how love turns everything around. Have you ever noticed too that you look back through literature, you look back through movies and you look through, you look through songs, the subject of love is like this grand subject over all of those things that we look to. Like, all the songs that you probably have stored in your memory bank, at least 75% of them have something to do with love. The movies. I mean, how many of you like rom-coms? Romantic comedies. Sorry, I was trying to talk relevant for the kiddos. Yeah, How many of you like, you know, Blow Them Up, James Bond, kind of stuff like that, right? Yeah, he's still got romance in there. It's, it's messed up romance, but it's there. We all like these romantic themes. Why? Because love is elusive to us. It's like that old song, (laughs) what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Yeah, we do. But we're looking for it, as another song says, in all the wrong places. Now you're gonna go home and be singing these songs in your head, aren't you? We're looking for it in all the wrong places. Because there's only one place that we can look at it. See, human nature tells us to look everywhere and do anything to find true love. But only the gospel tells us where we can find true love perfect love that sets us free and sets us on the path towards a beautiful future. And then when we find that love in Jesus, we find out there's nothing that I can do to get it. There's no sacrifice I have to make because the sacrifice and the price has already been paid. I just receive it gratefully. It's already been done. And once we find it, the gospel tells us to look everywhere, not to find love. We look everywhere to give love because we've already been given more than we'll ever be able to handle church this is the way that we're supposed to look to the rest of the world we're a people that are overwhelmed by how much we've been loved by God that we love other people that same way when people see the church they need to see us with a hand out not fist balled like we got a war to fight against everyone we've got a war to wage against the enemy but people are not our enemy Countries are not our enemies. They may be politically and stuff, but when it comes to the spiritual, when it comes to the base of who we are, we're to love others. So many times we're told to love others as we love ourselves. And Paul says it here in our text. Jesus says it so many times. The Old Testament says to love others like and as much as we love ourselves. Why do you think we're given that caveat? Love someone like you love yourself. Why do you think it's given that way? Because it ensures that we will always view that debt as never being paid in full. Because how many of us have ever just stopped loving ourselves? Now, I realize that we go through seasons where we're not happy with ourselves, or where, you know, we are hard on ourselves and things, but ultimately, ultimately, we love ourselves quite a bit. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. This means that like our Savior, we don't stop loving people just because they're hard to love. We don't stop caring just because they begin to hold us at arm's length. We don't stop forgiving just because it seems like that's all we're ever asked to do. We don't stop going the extra mile because we think, how many extra miles do I have to walk? We don't stop looking for ways to bless those who persecute us. We don't stop praying for our enemies. We don't stop because the gospel debt of love is never paid off. It's never paid off. And, there may, and I say this because I realize there may be someone or a group of people that you're struggling to love right now because you don't feel much love coming back. But notice this, the command for us to love others was never based on love being reciprocated to us. See, because we're already loved more than anyone could ever love us by the Savior. We've had all the love that we need that should fuel us. That means if no one else in this world Ever loves me, if everyone else in this world mocks me, hates me, reviles me, persecutes me, if I have the love of my Savior, I'm fulfilled. And that preaches well and sounds really good from a pulpit, but in reality, that's tough. And this is the question for us Can we survive on the love of Christ alone? You see? Can we survive on the love of Christ's throne? But as we begin to love others as Christ loved, guess what? People will start to take notice of that and it makes us right with everyone else. See, I don't do harm to others because I love them. It's not love that causes me to want revenge. It's another emotion. And then lastly, and I'm gonna be quick because I know we're moving towards our invitation time this. See, the only clause to this debt of love is when Jesus returns to make all things right. And that's what leads us to our last point. I love big until Jesus calls me home. And the debt of love, lastly, fuels our hope of Christ's return. The debt of love that we have fuels our hope of Christ's return. And this is what we find in verses 11 through 14. It says, besides this, besides this command to love, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. Because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So Paul understands that this command to love our enemies and love those who persecute us and love all of those just like Christ did, He knows it's hard and here's what he says. There's a day coming. There's a day coming when it won't even be that hard because God's going to set everything right. And he says it's time for us to wake up and it's time for us to embrace the light. The night is nearly over and we are closer to our salvation today than when we were before. Now, he's not saying that we're working for our salvation, that we're getting progressively saved. You see, there's a, that when Jesus saves us, he saves us past, present, and future. When Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, he saves us from our past sins. When he saved us through, his, through, his, um, through the resurrection, is saving us for right now as well. That we are saved in him eternally, and he's also saved us for the future. Is that one day we are going to be saved in a kingdom of God that is perfect and exactly the way God intended for it to be. So there is a future salvation coming right we haven't seen the fullness yet of our salvation but we are fully saved and that's what he's saying rest in the confidence that this loving god who loves you is holding you is planning for you to be with him forever in heaven and he wants you to love others so that they can be there as well the hour for us to wake up from sleep it's a nod to the return of christ and I know sometimes it can get weary to be thinking with eternity in mind when you see so much chaos around you. But when was the last time you honestly, urgently looked at your family members, your coworkers, the celebrities you see on screen and looked at them with eternity in view? That they have an eternity that they're headed to. When was the last time you looked at them and thought of them in that way? I'm telling you, friends, when you, when, when, you, when you look at people with eternity in view, and if you are truly a child of God, it is really hard for you to say, man, I hope you slip off into eternity without Christ and go straight to hell. Or it should be nearly impossible for the child of God to do that. See, the debt of love fuels our hope for Christ's return, and it keeps us properly uh, with our priorities in check, right? Right? He says in verses 12 and 13, look what he's saying. Paul is basically saying, look, we don't have time to piddle around on loving our flesh and seeking only to please our base flesh desires. That's what he says. He's like, watch out for all the drunkenness and the carousing, the sexual immorality and all those things because what that is, it's that exercise of moving into self-flesh love and that's when sin comes into play and we cast aside loving God for loving myself and loving what the flesh says to do. And he says, here's the goal in that. Put on Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be Christ-like in that. The best way we can love others is to act like the greatest lover of all time, and that's Jesus. The greatest way that we can love others is to act like the greatest lover of all times. And that means every day saying, more of you, less of me. Help me to see people the way you do. Help me to see them with eternity in view and in mind. So as we close out this morning... Here's what's going to happen when we get to heaven one day. We sang this morning about the fact that we'll be before heaven one day around gathered among the saints and we'll sing worthy is the lamb. But there's also a day before all that, there's a day of judgment coming where we're going to stand before God. And he's going to ask us some questions. We're going to have to give an account for our life. And he's going to ask us a couple of questions. that are really going to be really, you know, the way you answer those is going to depend a lot. He's going to ask this question I already said. It. How well did you love others? Did you truly love the people that you shared your time with on earth? Did you seek for their well-being? Did you seek to let them know that they are loved by a God in heaven? That's a question we're going to all have to answer before God. And if you think, that's a lot of people. It's going to take a long time to get through that. We've got eternity to wait. We're all going to give an account. How well did you love but you see, you're not even going to get to that question if you haven't answered this other question first the right way. And that's going to be, what did you do with my son? Did you receive the love that he has for you? When I sent my son to the cross to shed his blood and to die on the cross for your sins, and I sent, I sent that, that Bible and that preacher or that Sunday school teacher or that Christian co-worker who told you about the grace, did you receive him as your Savior? Because if you haven't received him, You can't enter into my kingdom. You say, how would a loving God let anyone go to hell? God doesn't send anyone to hell. He has made it for everyone to go to heaven, but he loves us too much to make us robots, so he wants us and allows us to choose him. So he's gonna say, what did I do with my son? Did you, as it says in verse number 14, did you put Jesus Christ on? Or did you spend your life, as it says in verse number 14, making concessions and making provisions for the flesh? to gratify its desires. And those are the two questions that I close with today. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ as your Savior? And if you know Christ, that's great. If you know Christ, are you loving like Christ? If not, let's do business with God today. Let's say, God, give me a heart like yours. And what that starts with is just reviewing all God has done for us. All He has done for us. So as we bow our head and as we close our eyes this morning I ask that question do you know Christ? Have you received his gift of love to be your savior? If not let today be the day. And if you know Christ have you been loving like Christ? Every one of us in here have someone or some group of people that it's hard to love. Right? How many of you you got that in your mind right now? Raise your hand. You got that in your mind. all right? cool. Maybe what you need to do is just say God Help me give me a love for these folks. Give me a love. And to respond in love and in grace. Heavenly Father, I have your will and way in our invitation now and move in our hearts. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we stand this morning, if you need to come today for whatever reason, maybe you need to come today to be saved. Maybe you need to come today just to pray for someone or pray just God to give me your thank you for listening today.